0: What's up, Y'all A little faith? And welcome to episode number 14 of the Fagnostic Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hayes. Never heard of her. And if I'm still giving you episodes, it means that I'm still looking for answers. Today, I have perhaps one of the most important conversations I've had on this podcast yet. Imam Ludovic Mohamed Zahed is calling in from France. Weaving. That's French for Yes, Queen. To speak about his journey as a progressive Muslim and his successful efforts in promoting the true teachings of Islam. That's Arabic for Yes, Queen. It hasn't been easy. He was born in North Africa and later migrated to France. While being exposed to a more progressive, mystical Islam, he was also dealing with his sexuality as a gay man, as well as dealing with another new status. HIV positive. His spiritual journey has taken him all over the world, studying all major religions only to bring him back to Islam, back to peace, back to who he is. He founded the internationally consulted Callum Institute, which advises, counsels, educates, and activates governments, legislation, imams, and communities on progressive Muslim values. He works tirelessly to advocate for equality, equity, and love from true Islamic principles. You can find more about his sociological and geopolitical work, as well as all his writings and editions, at calum.eu. That's c-a-l-e-m.eu. So, welcome to the show, Dr. Ludovic Mohamed Sahed. Ludovic, thank you so much for being here. Um, you are several hours ahead of me in France. And uh, so I, we are accommodating both of our, of our time zones right now. So I genuinely appreciate you being willing to stay up late and hang out with me for a little bit. Um, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Yeah. Um, so every episode starts off with two questions. Uh, the first of which is, are you a believer?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, very, very much. Deeply a believer since I was a kid. Uh, I don't really know why but i was very much attracted to philosophy and and spiritual practices and and then in, in i had that influence from my uh grandmother from my father's side who used to be a sufi peace be upon her uh, a miss uh, a branch of mystical islam so she taught me uh, as much as possible about that so yeah yeah since the beginning of my life that was hard because i'm also queer i'm homosexual and, and they tell you in my my uh, tradition, like the, the clerics and the, the scholars, the traditional dogmatic patriarchal ones, that you could not be both, that you have to choose between one side of your identity, either your spirituality or your sexuality.
0: But mm-hmm.
1: yeah, thank God I'm, I'm trying to live both uh, at the same time, just being myself. And it works pretty well.
0: Yeah. For. Well, and, and thankfully, your voice is one that is heard, and, and there's a lot of people just like you who are trying to find that balance between spirituality and sexuality and to reconcile the two. So I'm excited to hear what you, how, how you have um, achieved that and, and what your message is to those trying to do the same. Um, you mentioned mystical Islam, which I've never heard that phrase before, so I want to circle back to that in a second, but can you just uh, quickly identify your pronouns for me? Yeah, him. He and him. Thank you so much. Um, so tell us who you are. You, you briefly mentioned your childhood with your, your grandmother teaching you about mystical Islam. But where were you born? Um, were you born into a family that identified as Muslim?
1: Yes, I was born in North Africa, in Algeria, the capital Algiers. So I grew up there, mainly. And then we had to move to Marseille, South of France, uh, where our institute is located nowadays. Um, it was in '95 during the the Algerian Civil War, um, and and then uh, there I was I was uh, studying uh, Islamic studies for five years to become an iman. Um,
0: and uh, and I- I- iman is is basically the a priest or a reverend in in Islam, right? Kind of, yeah, yeah. A, a religious really leader. leader.
1: Absolutely, a facilitator, I would uh, would choose uh, this terminology rather than leader because theoretically, and that that might sound sound weird, but we're not supposed to have leaders in our communities, we're supposed to be, you know, playing face to face with God and, and things like that, but unfortunately you always have, like in any community, like patriarchs with a lot of money and power who are trying to impose that, you know, very, very, Dogmatic, antisemitic, homophobic, misogynistic representation of Islam. But then, uh, when I moved to, to France, I, I discovered another face of Islam, a more progressive, inclusive Islam. And I also uh, uh, had the opportunity to live my my sexuality, my homosexuality, because in front, in, in Algeria, you can have like for what I say, up to ten years of jail. Just oh my gosh. Just- that homosexuality is not something wrong, and that's natural, and so on.
0: And that still is, is, is punishment that is uh, enforced in, in Algeria?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Up to up today, it, it's a big problem. We're still working with uh, several North African organizations, LGBT, progressive Muslim organizations, in order to put forward the fact that human rights, and and LGBT rights are part of the universal values defended by the kind of, I would say the true uh, Islam, even though it sounds weird, but you know, Islam in Arabic, it's supposed to mean peace, being at peace. That's what they mean. So right. when people are starting to use that beautiful tradition in order to make it uh, a weapon uh, uh, on, literally on the back of minorities, ethnical, religious, and spiritual uh, and sexual minorities. That hurts a lot, of course, uh, the, the, the people who are discriminated, but the entire uh, Muslim community, because many of us do not recognize themselves in those uh, patriarchal, uh, fascistic identities. Um, Spread within uh, Muslim communities worldwide, and and that's why also I think we are raising our voices in order to uh, counter attack those uh, those violent uh, representations of our mm-hmm. uh, faith tradition.
0: So you're trying to combat the violent representation of of this religion. Are you getting backlash? Are you getting threats from people from the patriarchy within extreme Islam that are threatened by what you're doing?
1: That's a very interesting question because uh, we had a lot of uh, uh, we had much more people telling us, "You are the true Islam. You're giving us hope. Uh, we are not Muslims, but we were." We want to learn more about your representation of Islam and so on and yeah. so forth. We had some people, you know, sending us on social media like hate uh, uh, messages and so on. But that that's very easy. Anybody can do that. But nothing sure. ever happened to us. Thanks, God. Because I think that um, people are, are more and more aware that something has to change in, in terms of um, how can I say in English, in terms of uh, exclusive identities? You know, I'm like this, you're not like me, so I'm gonna uh, fight you back or exclude yep. you from the society, and so on and so forth. And that's happening more or less everywhere in the world, but especially in African and Middle Eastern countries where misery, unfortunately, and war for resources and so on are at the highest historically. So I think that the two factors are related, of course. The more people are, are feeling endangered, uh, 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 experiencing misery in their everyday life, the more they're gonna use their culture, their religion, their everything in mm-hmm. order to reject others and make their own community survive. That's an animal instinct. I can understand it theoretically as, as a psychologist. Uh, I do not understand it uh, absolutely not, or accept it at least, I do not accept it as a as a Theology, yeah,
0: right. Wow, uh, can you go back to mystical Islam, and and because it, it kind of reminds me about um, some of the studies that I've had, like with looking at the Kabbalah as it relates to Judaism um, and stuff like that. So, uh, tell me about mystical mystical Islam.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a very very beautiful part of it because you found that kind of uh, mystical um, enlightenments pearls of wisdom in every uh, uh, human religious tradition. That's part of human cultures. And, and the, 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 that's the very important thing uh, that I discovered when I studied also Judaism, Christianity, and, um, and Buddhism especially, because I wanted to learn more about other traditions, other mystical uh, practices in other cultures, And how uh, queer progressive uh, communities uh, put the human rights and equality for all agenda forward within the uh, religious uh, faith based communities without, you know, too much backlash, too much violence in return, because that's not the point. My role, of course, was at that time, 15 years ago, when I started to work on those topics to uh, to create more peaceful dynamics and not to create more tensions and rejections. So I discovered that you have, um, uh, um, you know, practices like meditation and, and fasting and, and uh, energetical healing like Reiki, um, pretty much in every, every human religious traditions, which could not be a coincidence and makes it even more valuable for our self-empowerment because this is, this is like tools that we can use, that we are using for centuries in Islam, like in other traditions, to make uh, of us better human beings. So it's like working on ourselves Using spirituality to be more connected to the universe and to other human beings and to ourselves,
0: of course.
1: Yeah. Way, because there's so many people, especially if you're queer or women or uh, part of a uh, um, religious minority in some countries, there's so many people telling you that you're not as human, as worthy as they are. Yep. And yep. and infra-humanizing you, you know, telling you that your humanity is not as as good as as there so and and they do that
0: because it creates a need for the follower to then be um delivered by the quote-unquote leader and so in that you have a there there's an enforcement of a power structure and 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 it just keeps people down and keeps they or them whoever it is up um but it sounds like what you're saying too is really recognizing the commonalities in the major religions so that what whatever you know culture you're brought up in you you then have these tools to reach the divine based on kind of how you were brought up is that right
1: yes thanks matt you said it all that's exactly the point the point is to find out where those traditions are coming from they're not falling from the sky we created them we wrote down those books those holy books they are holy because they mean so much for our humanity for generations of believers who uh, uh, reflected upon those values and try to uh, implement them in their everyday life. So mm. finding the commonalities, despite, you know, the the different colors, which is great, different colors, but the same basis of, of human universal values. That's, that's very important. I think, especially nowadays.
0: Yes, I agree. But again, there are people benefiting, not just politically, but religiously from, from, putting the wedge in between these major religions for the sake of power and control. I mean, look what's happening right now in the Middle East. I mean, you know, I I think it was last episode or two episodes ago, I started realizing that the Taliban is no different than the GOP. The Taliban's seemingly meeting the religious needs of a community in order to stay in power, just like how the GOP through anti-abortion laws, through anti-LGBTQ equality, they are meeting the religious needs of a community in order to stay in power. It's just the worst of grievances in my mind spiritually.
1: No, no, absolutely. And that's, that's really an abomination to use a word that they love so much to put on our back, because the, the true abomination is to use something so beautiful as spirituality uh, uh, and and to make out of it something that is going to reinforce your power on the back of the poorest people uh, amongst your population, amongst your community. That's very ugly. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's just exploiting God, exploiting the divine, um, which I'm sure that there's going to be payment for that at some point. So you have been a huge force in in getting your your uh, religion of Islam to be more aware and inclusive of the queer community of gender equality, um, but even on federal levels, you worked with um, I think France to to um, to legislate uh, gay marriage right through the Calum Institute.
1: Absolutely, we were consulted by the government in 2012, especially in order to uh, uh help them uh, uh, um, create the best law uh in terms of opening the marriage for all citizens we also work um regularly with the european unions uh, european union found uh in order to to organize meetings and conferences and training for for, for Muslim youth in europe and elsewhere in north Africa. We work also with the United Nations, with universities, you know, we try to have as much collaborations as possible in order to make, first of all, of course, our activities and our people visible and integrated into the society, but also to learn from one another in order to get more tools and expertise to in order to transmit that expertise to, to, to our uh, youth, uh, especially in Muslim mm-hmm. community. You know, that I, I talked about misery before, but uh, the lack of education is also the best ally of, of fascism and violence. So yes. the best way to fight back that violence is empowerment, economical empowerment, and education, of
0: course. How did Callum come about? It
1: came uh, up... Um, Uh, 20 years ago, because we wanted to work on intersectional uh, issues like being queer and HIV positive and migrant and so on at the same time. And then we added, uh, on top of that, because it was not complicated enough, I guess, we added religion, like how religion could be a tool of empowerment for some people and so much violence coming from some religious clerics and and and, and powerful man uh, at some other points in other contexts. So we wanted to study that intersectionally, like crossing different factors, like ethnical background, religious uh, convictions, sexual orientation, and so on, and try to understand how people are able to build their life and their identity and affirm who they are with those, you know, factors in my in mind, like how could you be queer, HIV positive, Muslim, migrant at the same time? Do we have all of us something to know and to learn from you because you have like an expertise in terms of uh, surviving all of that? So yeah, that was that was um, uh, crazy. All, all all the the data we got from from that point of view. Then we started publishing, of course, books and articles about that. We attracted some attention and collaborations and confederations. And in the end, after 20 years of work, we are here talking about what became a movement because we discovered maybe that's the most important thing. We discovered we're not alone. People are doing that in North America, in South Africa, in North Africa, uh, Indonesia. There's a trend. there with... a a uh, little school where they do the, the same kind of- Whoa, 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 thing. whoa, 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 whoa.
0: So, There's a tr- a trans imam in Indonesia?
1: Trans imam and, and you also have like uh, uh, trans people uh, taking responsibilities and uh, that I would call imams also in, 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 North, uh, in North America. I, I believe it was, I, I met uh, uh, some of those queer imams uh, when I was there during Ramadan for different, uh, several conferences in in different cities in the USA. Uh, It was amazing to see everything that's happening there for years because they started what we call inclusive progressive mosques uh, a few years, six years before we did in Europe. Because when we created the first European inclusive mosque in Paris in 2012, we already had like five or six chapters of uh, Muslim for Progressive Values with Andy Zundberg and are the great people in, in uh, USA and Canada. So Yes, yeah. we, love,
0: we love Ani here. She, she was on an episode a few episodes ago. And I just want to make sure my listeners hear an, an accolade that, you just, um, that I want to make sure is recognized, and that is that you, you helped to form the first inclusive mosque in Europe in 2012.
1: And that was in Paris in 2012, absolutely, which means that it's a mosque still running uh, today, uh, led by two women now now, and, and it, it means that it's a mosque where everybody's welcome to come, you're Muslim you're queer, you're not a Muslim you're coming from another background or you're even not believing in a god like atheist or deist or whatever, you're more than welcome to come and join us for, um, for medita- meditations and, and discussions about those topics because it's very important to put everyone around the same table and and uh, to discuss who we are and where we want to go in the future altogether we have no choice but to live altogether and and you know sometimes i, ha- I have more humanistic values and proximity with someone who is not a muslim or even an atheist than with someone who calls himself a muslim but he is full of hate against people who are not you know under quotes like him
0: right why did you stay devoted to your faith Ludovic? little bit? Because, I, I mean, you were just saying a bit ago about how, you know, you, you were identifying as, as queer, as Muslim, as immigrant, as HIV positive, as all these things that seem to, to go against the people that led your faith. Why not leave? Why? I, what, what made you maintain a faith in your God?
1: That, that's also a very good question, but uh, I tried. I tried another system of belief or unbelief i was an atheist i was a buddhist and then i came back to islam because that's me mm. that's part of myself and you know what i have found exactly the same human abominations and temptation of discriminating others in all communities in so yes you know, some people say God does not exist, but God is responsible for everything. That the most ugly part of ourselves. No, it doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, the divine is within us, and the devil also. So, I I, I think that mm. I have come to a point where I was tired of trying to reinvent the will. I'm just using who I am, the way I am, affirming myself both as you know, Muslim, queer, HIV positive formerly a, a migrant living in france coming from north africa that's a bit complicated but yeah it's, it's also very rich but trying to change who we are just because there's so much pressure here or there it doesn't work because you always find it somewhere else yeah and you know when i tried to convert to buddhism i was like no but this time i'm going to go to the source of this tradition so i went to Uh, to do a pilgrimage for pilgrimage in in Tibet. That was so beautiful. I was meditating with monks in temples and so on. Crazy experience. That was great. But at the same time, even though it's not written anywhere in their books, I have found people telling me, oh, you know, women are not exactly like men. Maybe one day they will be incarnated in a man body. One day they might become a Buddha. So that sounded very Islamic to me in a
0: way. Yeah
1: fascistic so that helped me to understand more so many things about why do we pray and meditate and so on because uh, the the buddhist tradition is so rich in terms of inputs concerning meditation but at the same time i've seen also that some human are you know injecting their uh, poison and their fears in their tradition and they call that god everywhere it happens everywhere yeah so yeah, I just try to 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 do my best to be myself, not trying to cut one arm my sexuality or the other arm my spirituality. And I try now to help people make their own choices in order to empower themselves the way they want, wherever they're coming from, but especially if they're coming from Muslim African backgrounds, of
0: course. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um it- You mentioned a second ago about how the the God is in us and the devil is also in us. And it reminds me of a because we don't want to admit that, you know, especially people who subscribe to a faith system, they only want to recognize the good, which to me allows the bad to sneak up on you, you know, within you. And it reminds me of there's an old myth, or I don't even know where its basis is, but it's the story of the two wolves. And it's basically a teacher and his student are out in the woods and they come ac- across two wolves who are looking like they're ready to fight identical in stature, identical in, in, in muscle mass and energy. And the little, the student says to the teacher, well, who's going to win? How do we know who's going to win or how do we help um, the good one win? And the teacher basically just says, which one are you going to feed? You're going to, you know, if you want the good one to win, you have to feed the good one. If you want the bad one to win, you have to feed the bad one. And so it just kind of reminds me that we, we have the ability in recognizing the duality of, of good, bad, and everywhere in between, that we have a job to do in utilizing whatever tools we're given from the divine or from our communities to own to feed the good wolf. Because otherwise, the, it, the, the toxin of the bad wolf can sneak up on us, I feel like, and, and start to lead the way, which is scary, which I think is also what's happening a lot in the world right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, there's another beautiful story. Thanks uh, for, for that one. In the Quran, it is said that um, when, when God created human beings, uh, God uh, asked the angels who are like artificial intelligences of, of praying and obeying and so on. So they are like perfect in a way for what they have to do. Uh, God asked them to bow in front of human beings. And, and some of the angels asked, oh, why? Because we're praying all day long and I not you satisfied with, 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 our, with your creation in us, within us. So God would have said, according to this story, that, no, no, but you will see because I will give them knowledge and, and freedom of choice. So that's at, 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 at some point uh, the biggest blessing ever because we like participating to the creation of God on earth. But at the same time, yeah, yeah, we can destroy ourselves and everything around, right? especially especially now with all the weapons we have and the the, the the chemicals we're spreading in nature and so on. So that's a huge responsibility. That's what we call in Arabic, al-Amana. that's a responsibility in front of, of ourselves because, you know, God, if God really exists, I believe so. And God is almighty and all-powerful and so on. It's not going to be a big mess for, for God if you know there's no life on Earth anymore. But that that's how we're learning, you know, trying something, making mistakes, and trying to, uh, you know, uh, come back to ourselves. Some people call that uh, repentance, but etymologically, also in Arabic, Toba means coming back to ourselves, like the Christian liberation theology in the 50s, uh, last century in South America, when they started developing that uh, that idea that coming back to God is coming back to our true self. First of all,
0: that's so interesting. Coming back to God is coming back to yourself, because you know, as you're saying, God is within you. God is within us, and that's where, as as an agnostic, I don't, you know, that's why I have this podcast is to help. It's a selfish desire to figure out what what I believe, but you know, what I'm what I'm beginning to develop a belief of is that if there's a God, it's not necessarily like in this and in that it's in these spaces between it's in the dialogue you and I are having right now. That's where the divine lives. And to me, that feels a lot more communal and safe than just being like, you know, you know, within Christianity, it's all about, have you accepted Jesus into your heart so that the Holy spirit is within you. And I think it just really overcomplicates an innate belief system that's, that's, that we sense on our own and just recognizing the divine is in, in between all these spaces in, in between me and the, my plants. It's in between me and you, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Cause it also that, that idea combats the binary quality of a lot of religions too, like good versus bad God versus Satan, where if we recognize that space between, there's a lot of beauty there
1: absolutely absolutely and and there's so much peace yeah because we accept things the way they are instead of trying to make them the way we want them to
0: be exactly exactly you know
1: in in other traditions non monotheistic traditions because monotheism is is going through i have to say a harsh time but it's gonna pass inshallah as we say if it's called god's will um and if we put enough Monotheism will become inclusive again, mainstream monotheism, but but in in Asian uh, uh, tradition you still have those you know stories and myth- mythologies about you know God being the giver but also the the one who is distracting uh, our our equilibrium in order for us to find a new way to interact with, with one another with ourselves. So, with the entire universe so that idea that peace is static and uniformity and we'll all uh, will get to to a peaceful stage in our uh, for our humanity the the uh, the day everyone will be the same is really an illusion diversity and and diverse beliefs and and cultures and colors and and smells and 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 everything else is part of god's creation on earth What are we going to make out of that is our responsibility, as I said before. So that's really amazing when you think about it like this. You can call it God. You can call it universe. You can call it consciousness. I don't really care because it's only words. But what's behind the interaction and the co-creation with that huge energy that came up with this creation is, is something that is mesmerizing, mesmerizing.
0: You're right. So I I loved a bit ago. You were talking about the inclusivity of the mosque that that you were part of developing in 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 Paris. So you know, part of my angst with American Christianity and uh, and one of the reasons that I cannot subscribe to it is because of their belief that they are the only right way, meaning they are the only ones who have a true connection to God, and so when they're saying we are right, you're wrong, in order for you to have life, you have to come to us and and believe like we do, just seems so antithetical to the idea of of any message I learned about in the Bible growing up. But But the fear of Christians is that the other major religions also feel that way about them, that people who follow extreme Judaism or extreme Islam are also thinking they're the only ones who are right. And I think that's where a lot of the problems in, in the Middle East come from, is that you have this clash of major religious belief systems and they're all saying, the, we are the only ones who have the true word of God. We are the only ones who have a path to the real divine. And so of course there's gonna be conflict, right? But, um, but part of your, the mosque that you're speaking of, that belief system is not part of the foundation there.
1: Absolutely not. No, we believe that Islam is not a religion. It's a philosophy of life, giving us uh, axiological, um, uh, moral um, uh, principles, universal principles and values uh, that have been uh, transmitted from one generation to the other for centuries now, that we have to implement our own way in our communities in order to fulfill that, you know, peace of Islam. But I do not believe that Islam is a dogmatic belief that everybody has to believe the same way in God, practice the same spiritual practices and so on and so forth. Because as you said, that's the beginning of the end of that ideal that we call peace or God or whatever, the name yeah. we put, uh, we put there. So really, I believe that uh, uh, spiritual practices are helping us to be better human beings. But the moment some, you know, elite with a lot of power and money uh, try to grab that ideal, like in any other community, you know, even in political ideologies, it was historically the same problem: big ideals, big words, and in the end, uh, only a few. Powerful men take all the leadership and start to impose their power, reinforce the boundaries, scapegoat minorities, and then point fingers at, under quotes others. So that's the beginning of what I I call personally like a an ideological cancer. It starts with minorities and then it 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 combat the 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 entire civil society, the entire population. It happens so many times in our human history, that mm-hmm. it, it could not be a coincidence. It's really an atavic animal instinct of we are facing danger, so we have to survive. And unfortunately, that fear of we're not going to survive, we have to kill the weakest and sacrifice them and build something stronger on, on their bodies is really, really, really um, the the basis of those fascistic patriarchal ideologies during last century, World War, uh, during 19th century, everything that happened in Europe and elsewhere, uh, and 20th century, beginning 21st century in Middle East. So really, it's the same story. Just the facade is more greenish, more bluish, more brownish. But the uh, ideology, the underlying mechanisms of we have to survive even if we have to kill everybody else is really like a cancer because in the end, everybody dies. Yeah. And there's no God. You know, yeah. when, when I came back to religion after a few years of being an atheist, because it was too hard for me to try to reconcile both. I had that thought of um, it's like I have everything in life. In terms of material life, to be happy, but still something is missing. Something I had when I was a little child with my grandmother, just praying, meditating, early morning before sun, sun sunrise, and that was really happiness. And and I was full of of the universe. You know, I was in connected to this universe, and I was so uh, uh, excited. Uh, by the fact that I was going to be able to study and discover more about that. So I came back to spirituality telling myself, I want to see God living amongst us. And that was like, it was not my thought. It was coming from someone else. And and I'm still on that path. It could not be uh, any other way. Of course, it's very hard nowadays with everything, all the identity and political and geo tensions that we have to face but i'm so happy to have uh, listened to that voice that if god exists we have to make it uh, alive amongst us between us
0: when you even said a minute ago if, if with all the major religions and if that cancer persists then everyone dies and if everyone dies there's no god which just kind of backs up what you were just saying is that it's we have we have to hear that voice in order to to in- to actively engage, um,
1: and that's um, our that's our responsibility. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: I, you know, I try to speak to the uh, the dumbest person in this podcast, and that dumbest person is me. Um, so, can you educate me on Ramadan? Ah.
1: Uh, Ramadan is the name of uh, learner uh, month because Arabs used to uh, uh, establish their calendar uh, um, uh, according to the moon. Traditionally, that's a month where you fast, you pray more, you work less, you meditate more, you give more money to the poor, and so on and so forth. So that's a, a, a tradition that's, that, that is very much still very much alive amongst our communities in, in Muslim. And that's a beautiful month. Maybe that's my favorite month of, of the year. What, what, month, what,
0: what month is it? Ramadan. But, but when, when in the calendar that I use, what, where would Ramadan fall?
1: Yeah, but that's, that's the thing. The, the trick is that it, it follows the moon, so it, there's a solid uh, calendar. So for example, this year, it was just because before summer, next year, inshallah, it's going to be around spring.
0: Okay. Every year,
1: you take 11 uh, days uh, from the solar calendar, from your calendar, as you said, mm-hmm. and, and you, got, you, you get the, the, the date for the, the first of the month of Ramadan. Okay. So yeah, that, that's a beautiful practice because it gives you more time to reflect and more time to invest uh, yourself into social and humanitarian work.
0: That's it's so interesting because you know when I had this conversation with Ani too, all the things that I was learning, I was like, "I'm I'm on board with this. Sign me up," you know. But it's it's not the rhetoric that's created, at least here in the states, because again, you know what we, what we just talked about about pitting one against the other. What is the rhetoric like for is? Islam in France, because there there are a lot of migrants from North Africa to France. So I the, I know that there's a large Muslim population, especially in Paris. Um, what what is what is it like on the news um, and stuff like that, or in media as it relates to Islam?
1: Uh, yeah, complicated topic because because um, uh, in France people tend to mix two different factors: ethnicity and religiosity. So they used to speak about Arabs 40 years ago, like North African, they mean, and now they're just speaking about Muslims. And, and you never really know, and I think they don't know, mainstream French people, if they are afraid more uh, of Islam as a religion or Islam as a culture with a capital mm. I. So, um, but generally speaking, there's there's an atmosphere of Islamophobia, racism, fear, discrimination, slash, etc. that is raising now for, I mean, basically since uh, 9-11. Yeah. Because we, we had more or less not as high as you had too, uh, uh, but we had the same kind of, of consequences in terms of being afraid of the other. Uh, from a Western uh, perspective, in France, that was Muslim main, mainly because uh, 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 as you said, we, we had uh, 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 waves of, of migrations, especially after decolonization of North Africa, because France was uh, colonizing uh, Algeria, Tunisia, and Morocco at, uh, for, for more than 130 years. They were, they were in, in, in Algeria, in my, my country where I was born. And I'm French nowadays, so it is possible, you know, to reconcile those identities also, and to to make peace between two nations like France and Algeria. But it's also creating, of course, tensions and 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 backlashes and misunderstandings and and memories that are not um, still not uh, expelled uh, from from uh, any kind of hatred and 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 fear and so on. So. Yeah, that's that's the context in France. And plus we have the biggest Muslim community in Europe, that's in France. We have the highest rate of interfaith marriages between Muslims and non-Muslims in France uh, compared to other European countries. We have the poorest, one of the poorest Muslim uh, 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 population community in France compared to other European countries. So you know, it's so much uh, so many factors intertwined that it's complicated to understand. I mean when when you study that deeply and with the highest scrutiny, of course you will find some some very interesting data. There's right. very interesting studies about Muslims integration, Muslim radicalization, Muslim progressive uh, movement in France. Why did it start here? In, in Europe, in France, and in no other countries like UK or Netherlands or whatever. So that's very interesting. But mainstream French uh, population is is not looking at that with the deepest you know uh, 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 attention. It's just about, oh, what are they doing? Sure. Some people are bombing us and terrorist attacks and war everywhere in the Middle East. So, of course, it's creating that mis- misunderstanding and fear Atmosphere that we have also to face. We have to understand where it's coming from and try to 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 bring our part of efforts in in term in terms of deconstructing those uh, tensions as progressive, inclusive Muslims
0: Exactly, and you're doing that. And I mean, just by you being on this show, I'm so thankful for your voice. Uh, what was it like? I mean, cause it's, it's actually, I was just, as you were just referencing it, I just realized that this episode's going to fall on the week of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. What was it like at that time to know that a group of people just took your religion and shit on it on a world stage and That's squashed true. any hope that you were ha- having at that point of, of advancing equality and advancing God's presence in the world. What was that like for you at that time?
1: Uh yeah, personally it was um it was uh it was a disaster. I had <sighs> I had um how do you call that in English? I was I fainted the next day because I was too stressed. I had nightmares all night long. I was very stressed about what's gonna happen for those poor people in the towers in, in the USA, for the international tensions around Middle East, for us as Muslims in France. So yeah, I think for everyone it was a, a big trauma. Um, But it was a turning point because I think that more and more Muslims uh, got out from the shadow at that time, didn't let Islam between the hands of the same patriarchs, full of power and money, as we said before, and and stepped forward from that point or a few years later in order to take the power from their hands and say, Altogether, loudly, more and more loudly, after a few years now, after more than 20 years, we are Islam. So, Islam is not Mr. Islam. You could not call Mr. Islam and ask him, What is your point of view about homosexuality, uh, interfaith dialogue with Jewish communities, uh, uh, Muslim women's rights? And so, on. no, we are Islam. So, if there are some universal values in those traditions, we have to expel them from the cultural background, from the prejudices and and the tensions and the fears and apply them in our everyday life. And that's God, as we said before. God is not up in the sky very far away, punishing us when we are uh, making any kind of sin, as they say. I don't believe in that. I believe that we are judging ourselves and we are starting to be mature enough to see that there's real consequences for our acts in terms of violent, hatred, pollution, uh, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, you're right. And even just now you saying that you were declaring we are Islam, you're saying to the world, we are peace. That's not Islam. We are Islam. I love that. Um, yeah, I,
1: and it,
0: and I, we I, can I, extend
1: I, that to... Sorry. Yes. No, no, I was just
0: going to say, I'm. I, again, I'm just so thankful that that you were living that example because like, you know, I mean, just watching the news, one is going to develop an opinion of Islam or any other major religion um, based on where you are. But this conversation, like you are Islam. And I'm just so thankful that people are getting to hear that.
1: Maybe we all are Islam. We all are That's Islam. what I
0: was going to, I didn't want to say that, but that's what I was thinking. Cause even as a non-Muslim I want to embody, I mean, I don't embody peace. I have a very um, short temper and I get angry a lot, <laughs> but, you know, in my desire to be a, a more evolved yes. human, I, I want to represent Islam, you know, just how, and I, and in that I want to represent Judaism. I want to represent Christianity. I want to represent whatever yes. peace entails. I want to embody whatever love is.
1: Absolutely. You know, personally, I studied psychology, anthropology and theology. And I started telling myself one day, as you said in the beginning, introducing myself, oh, you've done so much. I don't know. I honestly I, I don't really see it like this. I see it as a strategy of survival. And I was at the same time passionate by 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 humanity, by our consciousness, our almost magical potential of of. Uh, transcendence and also a thread, I have to say, of our, 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 our potential destructive um, uh, acts in the future. So I really wanted to understand who we are. And I studied it from different perspectives in order to get more expertise about that topic and our potential of destruction and 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 making God alive at the same time, that's the tension that uh, led someone like me, you know, facing migration, civil war, homophobia, Islamophobia, HIV when I was 19. So it was so much of a mess. And all of a sudden you survive and you you are like, um, how can I say? Like when someone wants to eat a lot of candies, you want to have a lot of, yeah, knowledge about who we are and where we're going and where we're coming from so all those traditions all those cultures i i cherish them so much and and there's some some mystics you know when they meditating a lot and then they try to translate what they've seen what they have experienced some of them tell you about the fact that they've seen so many temples and mosques and churches and synagogues and and so on gathers in gathered in in one one place and and i think that's that's our that's why we need so much uh, spirituality and and dialogue and in order to empower ourselves and live together we need to understand why this is so important for us so i i do believe that yeah, it, it happens everywhere, with or without religion. That when you mix religion and all those uh, uh, ideals and that very, very strong positive will of transcendence to a given context, it can produce miracles or hell on earth. So yeah, yeah that, that's very important to understand. Why? Why is it so important? Why is, yeah. Why is it so important? Yeah. Why why are you doing that podcast?
0: Exactly. (laughs) I I still don't know the answer, to be honest. Um, No, the the answer is because of conversations like this, obviously. I mean, it's just (laughs) this is this is my church is getting to talk to people about what drives them, what makes them want to be a better person and leave a legacy. Um, You know, in Christianity, uh, HIV is weaponized as God's punishment for for leading a sinful lifestyle what is how is hiv seen within islam i mean obviously you're in a more progressive progressive sect but with the extreme islamic community and i hate even calling just like how i hate calling extreme christians christians because they don't embody the ideas of christ i hate calling extreme muslims muslim because they're they are not islam you are the islam but so, so how, how is HIV seen? I mean, it being 19 years old, you said is when you were diagnosed, how, how was it weaponized against you religiously?
1: Oh, yes, yes, very much, very much. And that was, ooh, uh, yeah, that was a very, obviously a very hard uh, part of my life. I just came from Algeria and then I, I was uh, in a relationship and then people associated me with the perversion and uh, that's, you deserve it because you've done so much stuff. But that was my first relationship. So it was a huge mess. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we, we, we should not. Ex- I mean, I did not exclude that experience from my life. I mm-hmm. tried to digest it, to accept it, and to make great sense and, and uh, uh, some kind of spiritual energy out of it. Because I had two choices and I was very young, but still I saw those two choices very, very clearly, I think, at that time. I had the choice between hating that person and hating everyone else and living my life, you know, full of anger and tensions and rejection of others. And the second option was just be at peace and accept what's happening because something good is going to come out from this. Mm. And, you know, the temptation is always here, you know, to fall into the other path and start, you know, closing yourself to others and rejecting people who are not exactly like you and so on and so forth. But I would say maybe to try to answer, to to, to contribute to your own answer to your question, like, should we call them those extremists and those people full of hate believers like us? I believe so. And unfortunately, but also hopefully, because we are um, open enough. I would say we are spiritual, loving, and caring enough in order to understand that we also have that in us. They're not different.
0: You so just, just
1: that maybe, maybe you, they're not mature enough. Or maybe they're too lazy. I don't know. Something like that. Maybe both, for sure. But for sure, also, we have that within us so it, it would be easy and at the same time not really authentic to say oh that's because of them no no that's that's something that we all have it's in us it's part of human nature yeah and that temptation you know the devil as they say in monotheistic traditions but the devil is for me that you know there's a beautiful story about that i told you about the angels bowing to humanity because we are we are powerful through our knowledge our empathy, and our ability, capability to co-create with God this part of the universe. But there's someone like that devil, shaitan, satan. Those are metaphors and names, but there's something very interesting behind that, of course. And that entity decided not to bow in front of um, consciousness anyway, because that entity said, I'm better than him because Mm. we created fire and very powerful and you created that guys from from clay so i'm not gonna bow to those people and that's also something that we still have in us i'm better than him so i'm not gonna bow and and i'm gonna reject him because he rejected me and then in the end we all we're all blind you know because we start you know pointing fingers in our eyes to one another
0: yeah and i i struggle with that a lot myself because as someone who is quite antagonistic towards mm-hmm. conservatism. I don't have a lot of grace for those that don't have grace, which is hypocritical to my own message. I'm saying I'm better than you are because I see the world more expansively, which in reality is, is hypocritical just in that statement. But it goes back to what you are saying. It's in all of us. We all have that tendency and that Potential to take the wrong path, and it, it just reminds me again that I, I I use the two wolves metaphor a lot because it just breaks it down so simply in my mind. Where are we putting our energy? Where are we putting our effort? And it, if it's not on the good wolf, it's going to be on the bad wolf. There's only it's two true. options. Um, but you also said something a second, like a second ago that I wrote down because I it just captured everything about about faith. You said, when I asked about, can we call those extreme people something different so that we see the differentiation and you're saying it's, we can't, but you said, unfortunately and hopefully, and I, it just, I mean, I got chills when you said it. Cause I was like, that's it. And that, that captures faith to me, unfortunately, but hopefully.
1: Yes. Yes. That's, that's uh, uh, our human faith.
0: We yeah. have to be in
1: detention be conscious of our potential and at the same time we are complaining and crying upon our freedom of choice so we complain most of the time not to have the choice to pay bills and taxes and go to work and and so on and so forth and and we all have been confronted to that kind of situation where you have a very important choice to make which can change the entire your entire life or, and your relatives life and you hesitate so much that you could not Choose, you know. So this is just a tiny, tiny part of uh, of 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 the co creation that we are all, uh, you know, evolving within. So I can imagine like entities uh, like gods and angels. I don't know. Those are metaphors once again. But if we imagine that God exists and is uh, that entity is trying to elevate us. And create like consciousness, consciousness from clay to to pure positive energy. Could you imagine all the steps that it takes? You know, that's a a miracle in itself. Yeah, (laughs) much more powerful than a god coming and say, "I'm gonna create like heavens and earth in in six days," and literally, like I mean. Mm-hmm. Not taking that as metaphors, but as it happened like this. So, yeah, there's only two, always two faces to one coin. So I uh, uh, I would like to have more, you said hypocrisy. I, I wouldn't, I would call it like this. I would call it more psychological tensions, as we say, dysphoria. You have two representations of the word of yourself, of others, that are, you know, um. Uh, um not merging into one another to create a bigger, more peaceful one. And that's from that's from this tension, you know, that shock between one positive and one very negative representation of who we are, that we are getting that mo- motivation to move forward. So we can say, oh God is too hard, you shouldn't be like this, and so yeah, but that's why we are moving forward and learning so much and and getting more power intellectually and spiritually. I think that we are getting into an era of higher consciousness. Many traditions are talking about that. You never know. You know, there's so many prophets and mediums telling you this and that. It never happens. Nobody knows. But I, I really believe that that global civilization that is emerging might, we'll see, yeah, that might create something bigger than that, what we've seen ever before in our in our humanity, so we'll see. That's
0: I vote for that. Uh, you have a, a a view and a hope of the future that I struggle to keep to maintain. Um, what what's going on in Northern Africa as it relates to LGBTQ rights um, and? And the spread of HIV there, um, you know, here in the states, I think we see Africa as a as a hotbed of AIDS and HIV still. Um, so, are, are there organizations that you work with to help people either escape um, restrictive regimes or or to to get meds or what, what what goes on there, especially in Algeria where you might be more familiar?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's very hard to create an LGBT organization in a country that is criminalizing LGBT orientations and identities and practices. But still, there is some alternative underground organizations that we are working with. Some sometimes we we bring leaders of those organizations here in Marseille or elsewhere in Europe in order to have access to training and and peer-to-peer counselling and so on about how to, to to do their work on a grassroots level in their context, um, undercover, of course. So um, that's, that's also a very, very good uh, uh, example of what we were talking about before, because according to some reports and studies, we never had so much state homophobia and transphobia in North Africa and Middle East than now, nowadays. And those homophobic transphobic laws, we have to recall that they have been brought to colonized countries by Europeans when we were colonized by, you know, France, Great Britain. At that time in Europe, they used to consider 19th century, uh, uh, early 20th century, that homosexuality was a disease, a perversion, and so on. We changed our, our uh, mind since then, of course, but at that time, that was like the mainstream conviction of uh, 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 um, uh, about homosexuality. So that's very interesting because there's two ways to see it. Maybe those people in power are uh, harshening the, the fight against minorities because they are um, uh, more powerful than ever. Or or perhaps it's just the other way around. The feeling that their power is very weak, weaker than ever, that those regimes are going to fall after civil wars, after conflicts, after a lot of tensions and blood and, unfortunately, a lot of sadness and negativity. But one way or another, those totalitarian regimes in North Africa and Middle East are going to fall and let. Uh, the people lead their faith in uh, hopefully in the future um, and and there's also another very interesting uh, point about that example, is that many uh, political leaders and religious leaders they disagree sometimes on everything else, but they do agree about how to deal with those and quotes perverts as they say mm. so um. Those people are just forgetting that if they preach, you know, Islam and peace and and the the nobility of their culture, uh, they could not at the same time, you know, build their uh, uh, dynamic on the back of the poorest, the weakest, the minorities. First contradiction. And the second one is that those values have been imported from elsewhere. It came from Europe. It could have come from, I don't know, Mars or elsewhere. But it came from elsewhere. And now they're making it look like it is our authentic culture, like Islam or African culture never had, you know, uh, sexual or gender diversity before. But, you know, there's so many stories and historical reports about the fact that, you know, sexual freedom at some point was easier to practice uh, uh, same-sex love and so on in North African and Middle Eastern and Asian countries uh, compared to other parts of the world, like in, in Europe at that time. So, yeah, it it it's a very interesting perspective. Studying minorities is telling you so much about the entire society, about an entire given society. So. The way those regimes, totalitarian regimes, are dealing with minorities—you know, Jews and homosexuals and women and so on—in their countries is telling us so much about where the, that given society is is going uh, is going to. So I think those societies are th- those regimes are going to collapse be- because they could not survive. There's so yeah. much violence and injustice and people are starving and it has to come to an end, but unfortunately, it, it's going to create more sorrow and and, and, and pain in, in the next years, uh, um, especially on the back of minorities, LGBT or religious. Yes. Yeah.
0: yes. Uh, this conversation has just blown my mind. I'm so thankful again for you being here. I, I want to see to, to kind of tie this up your message to a few different groups of people. What, what is your message to Christians and Jews as it relates to uh, Islam on the world stage? What is your message to young queer people who are in conservative Islamic communities? And then what is your message to conservative Islamic communities about the LGBTQ community?
1: There's a beautiful verse in the Quran telling us All you people of the book, so Christians and Jews and Buddhists and all those traditions are quoted in the Quran and the prophets and, and we are, and it's mandatory for Muslims to respect those prophets and those traditions. That's one of the only religious book where it's written black on white. You have to respect all the, those prophets because they brought peace and, and good things to our humanity.
0: Wait, so in the Quran, it says to respect all religions, all, all, all yes, leaders.
1: It's a, it's a duty. It's an ethical duty uh, to respect uh, Moises and Jesus, peace be upon them and all other uh, prophets uh, who came and Buddha also, dul kifl is quoted in the Quran, and that verse is very clear about the equality between all our traditions. Ta'ala <inaudible> wa Come to, um, kalima. Come to a, a, a word um, that is equal between you and us, all of us. I wish so I could remember.
0: I wish I could see my face right now because there's nothing in the Bible to my knowledge that's recommending to respect and appreciate teachings of other religions. It's the opposite, really. And to hear that in the Quran, which is in the media, is so against us. But what you're saying is that the religion itself is simple, black and white, that all religions, all faith systems are equal and to be appreciated.
1: Oh yes, yes, they're all words of God, and there's also other verses telling us about priests and monks and 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 rabbis praying God and helping their community. They're gonna be awarded uh, by God because they're good people, just like this. So yeah, you know, uh, those books, as I said in the very beginning of our uh, discussion, were written by man in in a time of conflict and tensions and questions and. So um, there's also two ways to see them, something that is completely um, impossible to update that is useful for nothing, or we can see it as an, um, a, a piece of our human history, a piece of ourselves. So we, we, we could study those traditions, that's why I do for 30 years now, because I feel that, that there's so much wisdom in that, in uh, as uh, 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 as far as we keep some distance with the context, because the context is not the same at all. You know, they were uh, first Muslims. They were a minority that everybody else around wanted to kill. So of course, they did not even have the power. We have to reflect upon that. They didn't even have the power, even if they wanted to, to impose their representation of the divine to everybody else around them. It was a tribal society, very violent. People were isolated in long distance uh, uh, cities or or, or villages um, in the desert. Um, So really it was was about let's be at peace and let's establish a new um, culture. A new culture. Let's cultivate something new between ourselves. And in a way or another, it worked. Not perfectly, but it worked because that civilization emerged in less than a hundred years from the desert of Arabia, like a thousand and four hundred years ago. So for one reason or another, something talked to those people at that time, you know. Yeah. Told them something told them about peace and um renewing social and political dynamics because it was too violent, too discriminatory, too too much about slavery, exploitation, exclusion. So if we take it literally, first of all, we don't understand anything because the context changed. And plus, we're going to apply it in a way that is in contradiction with the values that those texts wants us to, to apply in our everyday life. So as As I said before, we have to keep some distance with the context in order to to, to get the, the best out of those traditions, like with any other tradition. So once again, it's not falling from the sky. It's up to us to embody those values in our everyday life. That's how I see it.
0: Well, and also in creating that distance between the context, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, that space between, and that's where God is. That's where beauty is.
1: Absolutely. Otherwise, you flatten everything and you yeah. don't do anything to, to the message of peace.
0: Yeah. Come
1: to a word equal between us and you. So this is like something that you can apply to, to, to anything and anyone in any situation. Let's come together. We're all equals. We're going to live together and create something mesmerizing. If you start, you know, criticizing the other and and calling that peace, of course, it's not going to work.
0: (laughs) So what's your message to young queer people who are within these conservative Islamic communities, whether because of their family or geography?
1: Yeah, my message would be uh, believe in yourself. First of all, my second advice would be never stay alone in front of discrimination and violence and so on. There's always a a way to connect nowadays with other people living the same issues, just like you. And my third point would be, do not believe what they tell you about anything. And especially about religion, spirituality, Islam has to be something that's gonna help you to be a better human being, not create more tensions and hate, self hatred and and shame and violence within. That's it. If it's the case, then it's not Islam. It's not religion. It's, it's not, something. It's else. not
0: peace because Islam is peace. It's
1: not peace. Absolutely, and we are Islam. So you also are Islam. Let's step forward in a way or another. If it's not then too dangerous for you, connect with other and and affirm yourself just the way you are. Because if God exists, and I believe so. God created you and loves you exactly the way you are.
0: Yeah. Well, what's your message to the conservative Islamic communities then as it relates to the queer community?
1: Your time has come.
0: Yes. <laughs> I, you were your waiting time. to say that. I could see it.
1: <laughs> but, but that that's coming from, you know, from an, an experience I had a few years ago, we had a debate with very high religious leaders from, Egypt and, and Tunisia, from Al-Azhar University, thousand years old university. And in Tunisia, um, Zeytuna University, which is like also a thousand years old, one of the first uh, Islamic university in that part of the world ever. And we've seen with another woman imam from, from Berlin in Germany, but her background is Turkish, that they understood that now they have to negotiate the norm with other Muslims called progressive Muslims. Because progressive Islam, inclusive Islam, whatever we want to call it, became a reality. It's really a movement internationally and it's progressing and raising and getting more and more visibility for a few years, not because we want to be visible. Of course, we I would love to do something else from my life and, and even though it's very interesting to give interviews and connect with other people on the other side of the world but about those issues defending your right to be yourself and to survive the way you want to live that that's something uh, i would have done something else on my life but as i said in terms of survival it was mandatory it is still mandatory for people like like me to still you know negotiate with those guys the fact that we are just as human as you and i think that they start they're starting to get the message because their model that they imposed for a 100 years since the fall of the Ottoman Empire uh, after uh, First World War, for a 100 years, they pushed forward their political and ideological agenda. And now that model is falling on the head of every Arab uh, nation. So, yeah. Your time has come and now we're ready a thing and the people of our countries and uh, within our diaspora communities in the West are ready for something else.
0: Yeah. Something that
1: we have to, to invent together, all together. And, and if uh, the, the biggest part of our progressive mov- Muslim movement is, is coming, raising and popping up in the West, in, in Europe and no- North America especially, it's for good reason. Because we have more equality, more human rights, more freedom of speech here. So that's why. But the people there are just starving for that kind of of, uh, freedom, of course. Yes. Not being uh, forced to reject their traditions because they're making them too much uh, suffer, suffer too much. But at the same time, not having to cut just a part of themselves because they would tell them that They're not good enough to be good Muslims or good Arabs or good whatever. So, yeah, just being ourselves at peace, not fighting against everyone around is something that the the Muslim youth uh, in in North Africa and Middle East are are thirsty for, for sure.
0: Wow. Well, and the last question is, what would you say to the divine? Were they standing before you?
1: Oh, God. Uh,
0: Literally, yeah. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I don't think I would have to say anything to God when I'm not going to be with God. So I'm looking forward, I have to say, for that moment. But yeah, there's still time, yeah. still work to do. There's, that, that's going to be a wonderful moment. Yeah, for sure.
0: There's the challenge that you you just tied everything up. To the extreme religious people, your time has come. But the challenge to yourself is there's still time. There's still work to do. So we yeah, have yeah. to use it accordingly.
1: Yes, yes. I have done a seminar, been part of a seminar in the university in the UK a few years ago with a, a, a lesbian rabbi, beautiful person, done so much also for years now. And, and and she told us, you know, it's really exhausting because you have to fight on two or three levels at the same time, you know? And yeah, it's, it's, it's a blessing to be where we are because we can learn so much and, and try to help as much as possible. That we have that opportunity, that power, that responsibility, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. If, if it's going if, if to be done one day, and and you go somewhere else and another dimension and you just dis- discover other other ways to be part of that universal dynamic that we call uh, the creation or God or whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna happy. I'm, I'm gonna be happy uh, uh, about that. No problem. Because well, it, uh,
0: it's my wish, attractive. my wish and hope for you is that you are able to sustain yourself through health and practices that will allow you to keep using your voice for this amazing effort uh that you were in the midst of uh, I'm, I'm just so thankful for the hour you've spent with me for the dedication that you have that your life has towards advocating for the the true qualities of islam which is peace I, i'm i'm just this has been i don't i i always say this but and i mean it every time but this has been my favorite episode i think i've done yet <laughs> so thank you so much for uh, and where can we find you because i also want people to You know, if if there's someone who happens to come upon this podcast who's in a bad situation religiously, you know, what resources do you provide through your website for them? Where where can we find you online?
1: So, there's the Calem Institute, C A L E M dot E U website. And on Facebook or or social media, Twitter, you can find my profile, Ludwig Mohammed Zahed. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for the interview. It was a beautiful interview, very graceful, peaceful, peaceful uh, very spiritual, actually. So, thank as you, as, thank as you much as, as
0: I fight spirituality, I I can't deny it. <laughs> I, uh, I I I feel like I'm like an agnostic with my feet just cemented in the sidewalk, and just being pulled <laughs> towards spirituality, much much against uh, or much to my dismay. <laughs> Maybe you're more spiritual than us. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway, <laughs> well, I, uh, next time I'm, I'm in Paris, I will have to look you up and take you to lunch because uh, I just as a thank you for this and uh, God willing, we'll be out of this pandemic someday and we can freely travel and hug one another again. Um, it's thank bedtime you. for you. It's lunchtime for me. So uh, thank you for staying up late with me. Um, and I, I'm just so full of gratitude right now. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much, and see you soon, inshallah. Bye-bye.
0: And all the people said, gay men. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Fagnostic Podcast, hosted by me, Matt Hayes. You can find me at matthayes.com. That's M-A-T-H-A-Y-E-S dot com. Or on just the millennial socials at Hayes On It. H-A-Y-E-S On It. Please go subscribe review and share this podcast and in the meantime peace be with all y'all hi Michael Spicer here Matt Hayes forgot to put my name in the credits of his podcast as the composer but I'm here to tell you that I wrote the music for his podcast whatever the f- it's called I don't know